Welcome to Improbable Walks, the podcast that brings you to the streets of Paris wherever you are. My name is Lisa Passold, and I'm a writer and traveler who loves to walk in the city of light. Every episode, we step into history by strolling down a different block of the city, exploring buildings and people of the past and of the present. If you're a regular listener, thank you for your time and ears. If you're just discovering the podcast, please check out my website, lisapassold.com, for previous streets and more information. You can also support this free podcast by visiting my Patreon page, patreon.com slash lisapassold. Today, we're visiting the Cours du Commerce Saint-André near Odeon Metro. Sometimes called the Passage Saint-André, this runs barely one block from the Rue Saint-André-des-Arts to the Boulevard Saint-Germain. We'll begin by stepping up from the sidewalk at 59 Rue Saint-André-des-Arts and walking into a covered gallery street built in 1776. In this period, during the reign of Louis XVI, covered passageways were just coming into vogue. You could shop or stop for a coffee and be happily protected from Paris rain and from Paris thieves who lurked in the public streets. As we walk through this passageway, watch your step, because after a few meters, the smooth paved floor gives way to much older cobblestones. This is where the glass roof of the passage ends and the older street takes over. Now open to the elements, but still very narrow, we're standing on a street that was created in the 1730s, and I'm not sure they've ever repaved this road. The narrow street follows the ditch that ran along the outside of the great medieval wall built by King Philippe Auguste in the year 1200. This wall protected the city of Paris. That means right now, technically, we're standing just outside the medieval city limits of Paris. If we walk a few more steps on the left, we pass the lovely Cour de Rouen, which dates from the 16th century. Sometimes you can glimpse the old beams of the buildings, but usually the high gate is closed. Another few steps and we can stop at number four Passage Saint-André, which today is a chocolate shop and restaurant called Un Dimanche à Paris. Inside the shop, you can see the remaining tower from the medieval defensive wall. The beautiful curved tower has been entirely absorbed by the buildings around it, but it's still here, looking impressive. Once you've bought all the chocolate you can manage, come back outside and stand in the passage and admire the other side of the street. This is the dark blue painted wood entrance to the café Le Procope. It's appropriate to buy chocolate and talk about this very old café, in fact, because coffee only became popular in Paris in the latter half of the 1600s. King Louis XIV was on the throne, and he preferred chocolate to coffee. He found the brew too bitter, even though it was formally presented to him by an envoy from the Ottoman Empire. 
But even if the king didn't like coffee, ordinary Parisians loved the stuff. They liked the energy, they liked sharing ideas and talking, and in 1672, a popular coffee stand was opened in the Foire Saint-Germain, not far from here. The stand was run by two Armenians in this popular market. The coffee was served in little white porcelain dishes. There was no formal cafe. It was just a stop and drink, more like a takeaway than a proper coffee shop. Because this is France in the 1600s, though, every food vendor in the city had to be licensed. So the new and very popular coffee stands appearing on the streets of the city had to be organized. Who would control them? There were already lemonade and soda vendors in the market who also sold hot chocolate and ice cream. So in 1676, coffee beans and the brewed drink of coffee were added to the list of what the maître limonadier were allowed to sell. This gave the limonadier a monopoly on coffee. They also had the right ingredients to sweeten your coffee with chocolate and sugar, which really improved the taste. You could order ice cream or a small plate of candied fruit to go with your coffee, and then you were good to talk all night long. Let's face it, add a good Wi-Fi connection, and you basically have all the elements of a modern cafe, too. The Armenians and other immigrants in Paris working as maître limonadier started looking around for real brick-and-mortar locations, something more permanent than market stands for their coffee. And what we're looking at here in the Cour du Commerce de Saint-André is one of the early Paris cafés from that era. This is the café founded by a man named Francesco Procopio di Coltelli, or François Procope Couteau, or maybe Francesco Couteau, which is possibly his original name, but no one is sure. That's the fabulous thing about Procopio. He's a delightful figure that's built almost entirely of hearsay. He's like a celebrity from the tabloids of today. You read the headlines and you know it isn't true, but there's got to be some kernel somewhere of truth. We know that Procopio did not invent gelato. He did not invent lemonade. Those are just rumors out on the internet. He also did not invent the cafe. He's obviously not the person who started selling coffee to the French because Parisians were already drinking pounds of the stuff decades before Procopio even got here. But there are some true facts about our man. So far as I can confirm, François was born in Palermo. He married a woman named Marguerite in 1675 in Paris at Saint-Sulpice Church in a ceremony witnessed by his parents. The couple had many children and Marguerite died in the mid-1690s, by which time Procopio had already become a success at this café. So we know that Procopio arrived in Paris, got married, and became a member of the Limonadier Guild. First, he worked for other vendors, probably Armenians, in the market stalls. His title became a master distiller and lemonade provider. In the 1670s, around when he got married, he started opening an actual café, first in the Rue de Tournon. 
He served coffee and also water-based drinks flavored with rose, cedar water, and lemon juice, typical lemonades, and also ice cream. In the mid-1680s, he moved to this location. Maybe it was 1684, maybe it was 1686. It was definitely before 1689, because that's when the Comédiens du Roi, the King's Theatre Players, moved into the neighborhood. They took over the space where a jeu de pomme, uh, imagine a tennis court, had been. They built a spectacular new theater just on the far side, on the main street. Right now, if we were to walk right through the Café Procop from this passage to the other doorway onto the main street, we'd be looking at the former theater building, which is still standing. This theater brought Procopio a ready-made audience of theater practitioners and audience members. Procopio must have been a canny businessman. I imagine he was probably charming. After all, he ran a successful personality-based business as an immigrant and initially worked at a market stand. And anyone who has worked in the service industry will back me up here. If Procopio was successful, it's because he was good at charming the public. He made sure to keep his cafe open during theater performances, spilling light and energy into the street and luring the audience for drinks before coffee at intermission and maybe an ice cream afterwards. Everyone lingered to talk about the show, gossip about the actors, maybe seduce the playwright. Everyone was enthusiastic and so very awake. Procopio makes sure he welcomes everybody. A contemporary account talks about the diverse clientele here, where you might see handsome young officers showing off, abbots stuffing themselves with dessert, discreet couples leaning close over a cup of coffee, philosophers, savants, and literary types talking without embarrassment and without ceremony in front of their cups of coffee. Now, the Procop claims to be the oldest café in Paris, and it is indeed very old, though the original Procop here closed in 1872 after nearly 200 years of continuous business as a café. It eventually reopened under a different name, closed again, and then was finally reopened and totally renovated into this restaurant in 1988, which is why it looks old, but also not quite like a cafe of the 1680s. But the street itself and the idea of drinking coffee here late into the night, that's absolutely true. And as we watch our step going forward on these big, uneven cobblestones in this narrow street, we're stepping into the footsteps of the great revolutionaries of 1789, like the printer Marat, the lawyer Robespierre, and the great speaker Danton. Now, the printer Marat, or Marat in English, had his offices and press here in this tiny Cour du Commerce de Saint-André. He and his revolutionary friends developed their ideas in the cafés of the neighborhood, and Marat printed newsletters and papers here to be distributed throughout Paris. 
Also here in the cafes, we can imagine the large Parisian Georges Danton, who was mauled as a pig as a child and suffered severe disfigurement. But he was a brave, brilliant, though ugly man. Danton lived in this passage in a large apartment and was often found in these cafes talking with the printer Marat, who was always an ink-stained mess, disheveled and passionate. Marat suffered from an increasingly unpleasant skin disease, which is why in 1793 he was famously assassinated in his bath because he would soak in a warm bath while he worked, trying to cope with the pain of his disease. He was a brilliant man, Marat. He was a scientist, a doctor by profession, a journalist, a printer, and a political speaker. He was originally from Neuchâtel in Switzerland. Marat and Danton were often with Robespierre, the smooth-talking, impeccably-dressed lawyer. Both Robespierre and the printer Marat suffered from nerves and apparently used to twitch uncontrollably, which makes me wonder if maybe they shouldn't have dialed back their coffee drinking just a little. Strangely enough, also right in this passage where Danton lived, where Robespierre often visited, the guillotine itself was perfected. A doctor invented the machine to make the death penalty more humane. And in the 1700s, Dr. Joseph Ignace Guillotin perfected the invention here, testing the prototype on sheep. The machine, of course, has become an unfortunate emblem of the French Revolution, and it does seem unfair that Georges Danton was eventually sent to the guillotine in part by his former friend, the dandy and hair powder, Robespierre, who after failing to kill himself was also guillotined. Sometimes this passage, with its ancient cobblestones and hundreds of years of history, can feel a tiny bit claustrophobic, so let's step through the Relais Odeon. It's a café that has a pretty mosaic entrance here in the Passage Saint-André. We can walk through the café to sit on the front terrace, on busy Boulevard Saint-Germain, out in the light and air with the modern-day sounds of traffic. I actually really like the collision of the present and the centuries of history here in the Relais Odeon at 132 Boulevard Saint-Germain. Maybe we should have a coffee in honor of the twitchy revolutionaries who once lived nearby. Sitting on this terrace, we can look out across the busy boulevard to the statue of revolutionary leader Danton. Before the boulevard was built in the 19th century, the little passageway we just walked down, so filled with history, was a bit longer. Then the last section was torn down to make way for the boulevard. In fact, the statue of Georges Danton stands where his house once stood, in the Cour du Commerce de Saint-André. I wonder if Danton would approve of what his old neighborhood has become. I don't know, but I appreciate the bustle of students and travelers and thinkers and shoppers. I think I'll have another coffee. If you enjoyed this improbable walk, please subscribe to the podcast. For photos and details about today's walk, please visit my website, lisapassel.com. Thank you so much for listening and for stepping into history with me. Until the next time, we go strolling into Paris together. <laughs>